Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael Podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming to the podcast a longtime friend of mine and my father, as well as the fellowship, and a tremendous advocate for Israel, Johnny Moore. Johnny has been called one of America's most influential evangelical leaders, and he is especially known for his multi-faith work in the political arena and foreign policy. He recently finished serving his second and final term as Commissioner for the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom as appointed by the President of the United States. And in 2017, Johnny became the youngest recipient ever of the prestigious Medal of Valor by the Simon Wiesenthal Center, a leading Jewish human rights organization, in honor that my own father, Rabbi Chiel Eckstein of Blessed Memory, also received. In addition to his work in this very important field, Johnny also is a business person who founded one of America's leading boutique public relations and communication agency, the Kairos Company. Johnny, I can go on and on about your amazing credentials and work in promoting peace and advocating for religious freedom in the Middle East, about being an amazing father and husband. But I would rather begin our conversation and let you tell our listeners all about you and your passions and your hope and what you're working on. So, Johnny, welcome to the podcast. It is my honor, my friend, to bring you here with me on this podcast. Uh, the, the part of my bio that may be the most important is Yael's friend. <laughs> and yes. I'm, I'm I'm really, uh, really very happy uh, to, to, to be here. Friend and mentor. Uh, vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're in this together. I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, we're the, I think the exact same age or close to it. And uh, sort of the next generation of leaders, uh, you and, uh, and the Jewish community, me and the, in the, in the Christian community. And I am not sure why. Uh, in some strange way, God uh, has us uh, collaborating at this at this moment, but it really is uh, an, an exciting time, even if sometimes complicated. Yes, definitely. Definitely, definitely. And you are on the front lines in every different area, in business and finance, as far as PR and communication, but everything goes back to bridging these bridges between America and Israel and the Arab world, between Jews and Christians and Muslims. So I want to start from the beginning. From the time I knew you, the context that I knew you was in your passionate love and support for Israel and the Jewish people. So um, I'm sure that has a beginning somewhere. Can you tell us about how that began? Yeah, I, I think like many evangelical Christians in, in the United States, I don't remember a time in my life where <clears throat> Israel wasn't somehow part of my life, where I didn't, uh, it's like you just, you're born into 
a community uh, that loves Israel, that points its eyes towards the Holy Land. In our Sunday school classes and in churches, you learn about uh, cities that you can visit today because of because of Israel, because of the way Israel has has taken care of those places and opened them up to the uh, to the the Christian community in an amazing amazing way. Uh, so I I don't remember when I when I became introduced to Israel. I do remember my first visit to Israel, mm. and and as many times as I've been since you feel something there. Like it is, it is, there's just something supernatural about, yes. about that, about that ground. And, uh, and on my first visit, aside from the spiritual experience, uh, it also sort of awakened me to all kinds of other aspects of it. I mean, I, I remember, uh, on a bus, you know, at a certain point, uh, our, our guide put a map up so we could all see it. And he showed the, the distance between the sea uh, and uh, in between uh, uh, Syria, I guess at a, at a cert- certain point, and it's not like not that many miles. This tiny right. sliver of land, you know, that's so so consequential. And yet, when I arrived, and every time since then, I felt like I was like in a second home. Like part of my heart was already already there. And I, and I think that's the experience of a lot of a lot of evangelicals. You you sort of like just grow up feeling this way, even if you don't quite know how to articulate it or quite, you don't quite fully understand it. It's a part of, it's a part of who we are. Uh, and that's saying something for a community in the United States alone of, you know, about 80 million people around the world. It's, it's, it's certainly in excess of 800 million now. It's amazing because it's something, another area where Jews and Christians are so connected. Because I've heard so many Jewish people say the exact same words that you said, that I've learned about Israel growing up. I've heard about it. I've studied about Israel. I've looked at the map of that tiny country that's changing the whole world and study the biblical places like Beersheba and Jerusalem. And But suddenly when you get off the plane and step foot there, you realize I've never been here, but suddenly I feel like I'm home. Yeah, and it deepens. You know, there are a lot of places I've been to multiple times. Yeah. And it's a little different the next time. And you, you know, you know the place, you're a little more familiar with the place. Uh, with Israel, it just, you know, it just, it just, I don't know how to say it. It just, like the relationship with the land, just in the people. And all that's a part of it. Every time I go, it just it, it it just changes, and and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I have my habits when I'm there. So I I typically stay in Jerusalem, and uh, at least once a day, uh, and, and and very often in the evening, if I've had a day of meetings, and I get back to my hotel at ten o'clock at night. I know what you're going to say because I remember having a meeting with you at ten o'clock at night after a long day, and you said I was going to sleep, and you said I will not go to sleep until I walk down to the Western Wall. Yeah, I do it almost every, <laughs> I do it almost every time, and I don't know I don't know what it is, but it's like I have to do that. My heart is drawn uh, to the to the city, and uh, yeah, uh, and I'm missing it now. I mean, it's, it, because of uh, uh, the the pandemic, it's been just. Uh, uh, I, I was going multiple times a year, you know, and it's a, uh, I think a lot of people are sort of like uh, longing for the season to be fully behind us so we can uh, get, get back to normal. 
Totally. And everything that you're saying makes perfect sense from Christian theology and directly from the scriptures of the Christian Bible that you're grafted onto the rich olive tree of Israel. So it makes sense that when you land in Israel, you're tapping into those roots. When you walk the streets of Jerusalem, when you go and pray at the Western Wall, I mean, the the Western Wall was the location, of course, we know of the sacrifice almost of Isaac, of tradition holds where the world was created from, um, where the dream, of course, of the angels going up and down happened. And uh, and it was also the site of both temples, which it says, my house is a house of prayer for all the nations. So it's an amazing thing being able to go to the new Jerusalem while tapping into Jerusalem of old. And we are definitely, if anyone thinks that reading about modern Israel in the newspaper every day is something that we could just look over, it, they are very wrong. These are the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah coming alive in this modern world, which to me, even after living here for 16 years, just blows me away every day anew. Yeah, it is, it is a magical place. It's a biblical place, a prophetic place, an innovative place. You know, people miss the innovation of Israel too. Like they don't, I, 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 I've gotten in the habit of talking as much about that as everything else. I mean, our lives, our worlds would not operate uh, without Israel's Silicon Valley. You know, I, I mean, there, there are all these different aspects of, yeah. uh, of the country that uh, fulfills the biblical prophecy of Israel blessing the entire world in ways we don't even believe it. And the funny thing is a lot of uh, a lot of Israel's uh, uh, irrational critics uh, do it on technological devices that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for uh, Jewish innovation. <laughs> I just, totally. I think it's really uh, it's really extraordinary. Their, their, their health is better. Uh, but because of uh, because of uh, innovations in healthcare, the you know all, all of all of these things, it's uh, it's really uh, it's really extraordinary. That's amazing. So all of this is, and I know we can talk about our shared love for Israel forever, but let's get a little bit more into the details. So you've been very involved with the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews for many years, and we are so honored and blessed that you sit on our board of directors. Um, what is it, given all the different things that you've spoken about, about Israel and growing up as a Christian, your connection to Israel, what is it specifically about the fellowship that, that moves and connects you? There's so many things, you know, I think for lots of uh, for lots of Christians that love and care for Israel and for the Jewish people, the fellowship has become the outlet through which we can participate in that. Not just not just uh, have good feelings about it, but yeah. do something, support those who are in need to uh, to make sure that the Jewish people, wherever they are uh, in Israel or around the world, uh, can can f- live their lives in security. Uh, to at, at the at the various uh, holidays and, and holy days throughout the year to to participate in those holy days by making sure that people have what they need uh, in order to in order to um, uh, en- enjoy them to maximum effect and to and to participate in uh, in all of the, the 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 various and holy aspects of those of those holidays like the fellowship has become a a, a the practical link for millions of Christians around the world in various ways uh, um, to, to, to Israel and to the Jewish people wherever they are. It is the way in which, when the you know, Bible says that, that, uh, that we're to bless Israel, where the way we can bless Israel is through this bridge that has been built uh, between, between uh, the, the fellowship and the, and the Christian, Christian community. You, you have made a miracle possible 
in so many of our lives that otherwise we wouldn't have been able, you know, to, to have that connection. You know, and it's not, it's not a simple thing. I mean, your, your, your father of blessed memory, um, Rabbi Eckstein, when he decided to build these bridges between Christians and Jews, uh, it was not an easy bridge to build. Uh, it, it, it took uh, an enormous amount of effort over a long, a long, a long period of time. And that bridge now, this, this unique relationship that is extraordinary in human history. I mean, who would have imagined um, that, uh, that, uh, that the, the Jewish community and the Christian community uh, would have the relationship that we, we, we presently enjoy? It would have been unimaginable through large portions of history. Uh, and the fellowship has, uh, in my personal opinion, is more responsible for that, uh, certainly on a grassroots level, than any any organization. And so when people look in awe of this great Christian firewall uh, around, um, uh, you know, a, around the state of Israel, around the, the Jewish people, the service of so many Christians that wake up every day wondering how they can bless uh, and, and help Israel and the Jewish people, uh, the, the fellowship built that um, over over time, and it, and you know, and I could just go on and on. I mean, the scale at which you guys operate, the professionalism with which the organization does its work, the sensitivity uh, toward all of the different aspects, including um, the the very holy aspects, you know, of of uh, our, our religious communities, um, uh, you know, remaining who we are. Uh, but working working together in an area of of, um, of mutual interest and of passion, um, th- these are these are all things. I mean, the fellowship, in my opinion, uh, is like just one of the best organizations in the world. Uh, period. Um, but uh, when it comes to this uh, to this area, and 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 by the way, there are lots of great organizations. And we all work on yes. this together. But but the fellowship um, is true is truly is truly it's truly unique, and that's why it has become the link. For millions of Christians, uh, and the name is right. It is the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Um, it's pretty cool. Amazing. And as you talk, I'm just going over all the all the blessings I have to be here on the ground and represent everything that you're talking about. You're talking about the Christian link to Israel. Well, especially now when we don't have our regular 2.2 million Christian visitors a year to Israel because of the Corona crisis. Um, suddenly I realized that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, it's such a huge responsibility of us on the ground, not only what we're focused on day to day of distributing the aid and bringing Jews home from at-risk countries and bringing them home from the former Soviet Union and the Arab world and bringing food to the orphans and visiting the elderly, but this this specific link that you're talking about, I always say to people here in Israel, it's so much deeper than the humanitarian aid that we provide of giving life according to the Bible, of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, sheltering those that don't have shelter. It's something so much even deeper than that of bridging Christians with Israel and bridging Israel with Christians. It was just recently, actually, the um, the yard site, the anniversary of, of the death of uh, Oscar Schindler of Blessed Memory, who, of course, we know saved thousands of Jewish people during the Holocaust. And um, and, and today, those 2,000 people that he saved have over 8,000 descendants today because of this one holy man who's Christian and and. And, and yet there are still so many misconceptions around Christians standing with Israel, motivation for helping Israel. How would you describe um, 
how would you describe the reasons and the core, the the genuine kind of pure heart of why Christians help Israel? Because from the outside, it could look kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get it. I, you know, and uh, as you and I have um, have spoken about uh, many times before, I mean, I, I, I don't think the, the, the Jewish people should ever let their guard down mm-hmm. ever. And, you know, as you taught me, uh, you know, and aside, aside from being, uh, and if I can just talk about Yael Eckstein for, for just, just a moment, <laughs> but in my, in my, in my life, I have met so many extraordinary leaders and great business people and great administrators and virtually every significant religious leader in the world. I don't know a better leader, a better administrator, a better chief executive uh, than you, uh, Yael. I mean, it, it is uh, it, the fellowship is not only um, a historic organization and organization that's dedicated to its mission succeeds at what it does. It just does it in a best in class way. And now for a second generation. Uh, and that is so extraordinarily, ex- ex- extraordinarily important. Thank you, John. Um, but you're also a teacher, and and you uh, you've taught me a lot of things. And one of the things that you've taught me, and I think that you've taught so many supporters of the fellowship, uh, is to see the Jewish Christian relationship not only through Christian eyes towards Israel, but from Jewish eyes uh, in response to this peculiar uh, adoration, love, and 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 support. And and frankly, you know, there are lots of aspects of our own history that I didn't know. You know, until I started learning it from my um, uh, from my my Jewish friends, and I, I think in many ways the fellowship is also in, has always been, but is an educational institution. And I think most Christians, uh, and I know this may sound absurd, you know, to the uh, to our Jewish friends, you know, that are listening to us, but mo- most Christians in America don't connect the dots that, like, you know, seventy five or eighty percent or more of the Nazis were like professing Christians. Okay. They they don't they, they don't connect they, they, they don't know the history and uh, of anti-Semitism and the role that that Christianity played it. In fact, the, even the word anti-Semitism uh, is is a word that um, that I, I have often spoken about in Christian environments, and I get this I have to define it. And you wow. would think it would be it would be a word that uh, that everyone would know its meaning. And I, I think because of that. Um, there are some misconceptions that sometimes Christians uh, say things um, that are uh, that are uh, insensitive, uh, that come from a lack of context, and they are heard as anti-Semitic. Uh, and this this happens, and it happens regularly. And I and I I think that you know we have to do a better job of of educating our own our own community on it. Um, but. Uh, our community also needs to stand up against those who are actually anti-Semites because that does still exist, you know, and, and, uh, but sometimes I, I think a lot of like pastors and churches all around the world don't know how to recognize those things. And so we've been, we've been helping, uh, helping them with that. But when it comes to the support of evangelicals for Israel, you know, it, it really comes down to the Bible. It's like our shared book. It's what connects us yes. uh, to, to, together. It is. Uh, and because of that, uh, uh, there are all kinds of ways in which our lives over overlap. We have more right. in common immensely than we do, you know, that, 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 that separates us. And, you know, every Christian that I know uh, takes seriously a responsibility to bless Israel, to pray for the peace of peace of Jerusalem. They view um, the, the modern state of Israel as the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. 
You know, it is a it is uh, it is God's intervention in history to, to fulfill a biblical prophecy. You know, and I, I remember talking to a, a ninety year old uh, sort of evangelical luminary, um, still still alive uh, today, and he told we were sitting in Jerusalem actually, and he told me the story of when his father pulled him over to the radio to listen uh, to the announcement of the formation of the state of Israel. Wow. Amazing experience because I I have so many Jewish friends and I had heard the same story from my Jewish friends in in, in a couple of my older Jewish friends in in the United States of like that moment when their parents pulled them to the radio. And I, I think what was happening is you had these parallel these parallel experiences in our community and in the Jewish community, obviously it meant something vastly different, you know, to, to uh, the Jewish community having undergone the suffering uh, that they had, that they had undergone, but, but to the Christian community uh, and particularly to Evan, to this amazing evangelical Christianity, this incredible movement, which is largely misunderstood and certainly politically misunderstood and all of these things. Um, it was viewed as a fulfillment of a, of a biblical prophecy. And for many Christians uh, if, of that generation, which they had passed on to another generation, it was the only miracle that they had actually seen ah, in their life. Wow. And it was an anchor to their faith and their, and their belief in God. And then not to mention, you know, Israel immediately uh, facilitated the visit of so many Christians. You know, they, they developed the sites, they, they looked past history, you know, a century of enmity, uh, centuries of enmity, and welcomed the Christian community to visit to visit those holy, holy, holy places. And you, and you put it all together, um, uh, it, it, you, you see this like historic, historic miracle. Um, you know, we could get into the misperceptions if you want to. We can, but I can assure you that that hundreds of millions of evangelicals around the world. Uh, don't support Israel because of some strange conspiracy theory about by supporting Israel, you know, the, the, you know, the, the I don't even want to speak it. I hate even saying it. Because <laughs> it's still, like, you know, it, it is a genuine, it's like the, it's like the, it comes from like, love. It comes from, that's what I was going to say. It's like a yeah. child. Yeah. It's like a child that looks up to their parents <laughs> and, and doesn't quite know how to articulate it, but, but they know um, that they came before them and they love them and they wow. have something in common with them. And they're trying to figure that out, but they just know it's there. And I think evangelicals in some supernatural way feel their love for Israel before they understand it. And a yeah. cynical world looks in and doesn't really believe that type of thing exists often anyhow and defaults to skepticism and cynicism. Um, but, uh, but, but in my experience, that just like isn't, isn't the case. Um, I love that. I love the way that you described it, how it's, it's heart. And a lot of times it's that I believe it's the simplicity that God cherishes the most. So I think it's a really deep lesson that's so relevant for every faith and, and for every person, just however far we come as in the area of progress and intellectualism. And there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Of course, it's something to yearn for, to strive for it. There's it's education is how we've got to where we are today, but we dare, we lose that simplicity and that blind faith and that simple faith. That is, I believe what God really cherishes the most. 
Yeah. And yeah, there are also all these other aspects of it too. Like that is the most important and that is uh, the most supernatural element. But I think people fail to realize like there were evangelical Christians that were guests in the first Zionist Congress. Okay? Yes. There were like the, the history that yeah. even precedes the, precedes the state of Israel. You know, Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. And as an advocate for religious freedom, you know, we always point to Israel as the example of what is, what is possible. You know, I, I say that uh, very often, you know, uh, the Bible is what like points the eyes of Christians uh, to, to Israel. But once their eyes are like there, they see all of these other all of these other things, you know, and uh, and, it, and it becomes part of our lives. You know? Beautiful. OK, so you mentioned religious freedom and something that I I love text messaging you randomly and hearing what country you're in. (laughs) You are in some countries that before I started uh, text messaging with you recently, I never even heard the name of those countries. And you go to Jewish, Arab, Christian countries all around the world, big and small, influential and less influential. Um, And what it seems like to me is that in every place you go, you have a different agenda, you have a different goal, you meet with different different uh, uh, people who could really change policy, government leaders, spiritual leaders, business leaders. But if I had to sum up everything that you do on these crazy trips, uh, I would call it fighting for religious freedom. That it seems like your life, Johnny, has been uh, defined by a warrior for religious freedom wherever you go. So your focus in the past recent years has been the Middle East. Could you give me a little bit of um, an update for me and for our listeners? Where is the Middle East regarding religious freedom? And do you think in any way Israel is the only democracy and the only Jewish country, the only non-Muslim country in the Middle East? Uh, do you think that that has changed uh, the reality for the world in the area of religious freedom? Uh a hundred percent it has. You know, Israel is the proof of concept. It shows what's possible. And uh, it's also become uh, the... the I'm writing only... that down. I love okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, um, you know, it demonstrates uh, to the broader uh, Middle East, uh, it's also become, uh, I, I mentioned the Silicon Valley of Israel, but Israel itself has become the Silicon Valley of the, of the Middle East. And, and I, I think um, there's a lot, you know, in the way uh, many Christians have, have, uh, uh, have, have in, envy for, um, uh, for you know, certain, certain uh, aspects of, of living in the state of Israel or even theologically, you know, every, every uh, one, one day a week, most weeks, I study the weekly Torah portion with a rabbi friend of mine. And we, so as a, I'm not trying to be Jewish and he's certainly not trying to be Christian but we both love the Hebrew Bible. And so yeah. we just like study it together. And we learn so, I learned so many things that I, I didn't learn in, in, in my education and, you know, all, all, all of these, all of these areas. Uh, but, but one of the things I've learned uh, in, in, in that study uh, is, uh, and while it's not in a weekly portion, you know, it's in the, in the, in the book of Psalms, that you have to seek peace and you have to pursue it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just, it's not just that you want to have peace. It's that you have to, you have to pursue peace. And, and what we're seeing is we're seeing this shift, uh, particularly in the Arab world where, uh, where uh, it's not just enough to seek peace, but people are pursuing it and they're pursuing it for various reasons. 
and, and sometimes, sometimes those reasons are about religion. Sometimes they're about business. Sometimes they're about security. But what unites them all is a new generation that refuses to live in the past. Mm -hmm. They want what everyone else wants, whether they're, wow. whether they're, you know, uh, uh, the, the Bahraini that visited, uh, uh, that was all over the press recently, you know, for visiting Israel in his uh, Arab uh, clothing or, you know, some, someone uh, uh, rushing off the, to Shabbat in their, in their kippah or, or a Christian, you know, stopping by the, the church of the Holy Sepulchre or not religious at all in a democracy like Israel, the most religious country in the world where an atheist uh, can live their life totally free and create the innovations that, that have changed uh, so, so, so much of the world, like uniting all of it, yes. our common experiences. We want to- That's what religious freedom is. Exactly. It's, and, and religious, the irony of religious freedom is that it recognizes the dignity and the divine freedom of choice in every human being. You know, and, and before Bahrain, for instance, made peace with Israel, the king of Bahrain um, uh, invited a few of us to sit around a table and create something called the Bahrain Declaration for Peaceful Coexistence. And it was the first religious freedom document that came from a, a, a monarch, uh, a, a, you know, an Arab monarch uh, that Amazing. was written in popular language for the everyday man on the street. And it included a whole section on the freedom of choice. People can choose what 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 they want to what they want to believe, you know, and and, and what what people um, are, are beginning to recognize all across all across the Middle East is that peace is possible. You don't have yes. to be bound by the conventional wisdom, and it begins with people. It's yes. people to people peace before it's government to government peace. It was like this strange phenomenon where where people from the Arab world, including states that don't presently have have uh, peace with Israel where, you know, Saudis would be in London and they'd sit down with Jewish business partners. And yet as soon as they would fly back to Riyadh or Jerusalem, they couldn't, or Tel Aviv, they couldn't talk to each other. Like this doesn't make any sense. Like we're all, we're all human beings. And, and what's happening is uh, we moved from the seeking peace to the pursuing it. Mm. Um, and and uh, for everything that's happening above the scenes, extraordinary things are happening happening beyond the scenes and behind the scenes. And and I, I'm not sure people have fully comprehended yet, yeah, that because of the Abraham Accords, okay, the majority of the Arab world is now living at peace with the state of Israel, and that peace has been repeatedly tested, and it is holding and holding strong. And my prediction is that this isn't the end. It's just the beginning. Amen. Amen. Unre it's something that I think you know, that's the thing about miracles, right? That that in the story of creation, what's the there are many names of God, and specifically, actually, as we're reading the book of Genesis now, it says "Breshit bara Elokim et Hashemayim and God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth. But the word that it uses for uh, God there is Elokim, which is the same numerical value as the Hebrew word Teva, which means nature. And so I think from the very beginning, the Bible's coming to show us everything is a miracle. It's just God creating this thing that's called nature. And so when we first had the state of Israel, like what you were talking about in the beginning, uh, 
um, you know, of everyone listening to their radios and could it really be possible? And the first miracle, open, revealed miracle that the world saw in their lifetime, I would dare to say, Johnny, that this is the second revealed miracle that the world has seen in their lifetime. It, it simply... In a, there's a Hebrew saying, um, I'm not sure if it's biblical or not, but it's a very popular Hebrew saying. And if it's in Hebrew, then it might as well be biblical. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it says, Yeshua Tashem Keheref Ein, redemption of the Lord happens in the blink of an eye. And mm. I remember when I gave birth, I was thinking about that. Oh my gosh, this crazy pain. And then in one second, you have a new life and you're pain free. And so many instances in life getting over those hard, hard times that you remember in one second, God can change everything that looks bad for the good. And what we saw with the Abraham Accords was Yeshua Teshem Keherifayin. Redemption from the Lord comes in a blink of an eye because no one, and I'm here in Israel, I could tell you in Israel, I'm sure it was the same, if not more so in America. Nobody thought there would be peace with the Arab world. Forget about in the past few years, in my lifetime, maybe not even in my children's lifetime. And suddenly we have peace deal after peace deal after peace deal. And so much of it, as I've spoken to you um, over the years, I, I've heard you say something that's really stuck with me. And I hope you don't mind me sharing it here to our hundreds of thousands of listeners. <laughs> you've said, <laughs> and if yes, too bad. Um, you've, you've said that, that, that you felt so honored going to these Arab countries as a Christian, preaching the most simple biblical commandment to love your neighbor like yourself and being a Christian who represents that. And when I see the miracles of the Abraham Accords for Israel, I always go back to you saying that and saying, yes, that's what it takes. Somebody so brave and bold to go on behalf of their faith that's different than the Lamb's faith and to represent God in this beautiful way that says, God is a God of love, period. So what I want to ask you is, how was it going to these Arab countries in the Middle East, Muslim countries, as a Christian and not hiding your Christianity, but shouting it off the rooftops, I am Christian and I love you? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I always say when I sit down with someone, um, with a minister of religious affairs, for instance, in, in the Arab country, before we get to all those things that divide us, hmm. politics and uh, Israel, and sometimes not so much anymore, but uh, there are all these things we have in common because we both have a high view of God. Right. You know, it, and I think that's the starting ground. And it's like someone who's a father and I'm a father and someone who has children and we have children and someone who like all, all of these like human con connection points. But also there was like this strange phenomenon, you know, which is as evangelicals. And I, I uh, we're known to be Zionist. Yeah. And, and it, there was something very strategic happening where I think the Arab world uh, was was testing whether the people were ready by meeting with the Christian friends of Israel. Yeah. And, and you know, three days uh, after the embassy was moved in, in Jerusalem, uh, my, my uh, a dear friend, uh, Rabbi Cooper, and I met a Bahraini delegation in Jerusalem. 
that the king had to allow to leave Bahrain and that, that the Israeli government had to welcome in, you know, as a peace, as a peace delegation. You know, wow. I, I, it's now public now. It was, wow. it was private, but, but uh, it's been, been publicized. But like two years before the Abraham Accords, like a group of us as Christians sat in the, in the home of, of, of one of the leaders in the region. And he told us he was going to make peace with Israel. It was wow. just, a matter, just a matter of time. And he told us other things uh, about the way they had the way they had been preparing for it for a long time. But in this ironic thing, you know, evangelicals are incredibly misunderstood. And I, I always am committed to giving people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so I'm not going to judge them for it. But we're incredibly, incredibly misunderstood. But one of the things um, that I, I think we deserve just like a little bit of credit for is that <laughs> God used us in an extraordinary way to, yes. not only, um, in, in a, to, to, to not only be an advocate for Israel, but to be a bridge between the Arab world and between the state of Israel, between Muslims and, and between, between Jews. Um, and and that's my, that's my so, so much of my, my passion. And I, I can tell you, I have, uh, I've never been more optimistic uh, for peace, despite all of the challenges that are happening. Uh, you know, and I believe trust um, is the most valuable commodity in the world. Yeah. And trust is the most valuable thing in the Middle East. It's not oil or gas, it's trust. 100%. And because of that, I can't say publicly a lot of what I've heard in, in, private, in private conversations, but, but I can sort of like wink, you know, and, and, and say like, this is a new day and we're not going backwards. We're going forwards and we're going forward together and everybody in their own time and their own pace and all, and, and all of these things. And we're not doing it for politics right. or any of these other things. We're doing it for our children so they can have a better world. So, and this is what I love about, about, um, about Judaism, uh, you know, as Christians, we, we tend to live too much in the present and we don't have enough memory. And, and I, and, and I, I love uh, the way uh, my Jewish friends live in the past and the present at the same time, but always moving, always moving forward. And we can learn lessons from the past without being chained by it. And what's happened, mm. those chains have broken off and people are saying um, the answer uh, is peace and prosperity yes. know, together. It's, oh, I have so many thoughts and everything that you say, because I think you're such a new voice and a healing voice and a prophetic voice and a prayerful voice and a humble voice. And when I hear you talk, I think about um, King David, who was just the shepherd in the backyard, you know, when the king came and said, one of your children, I want to meet them. Who's going to be the king? And I really look at it as a new generation. There's a verse that says, Or Chadash al Ta'ir, there's a new light on Zion. And it, I really think it takes um, looking at the past, learning from the past with all of the strength and might and showing the guns and showing the armies and showing the power. But it, there's there's a new light on Zion. And what's bringing that new light on Zion are people who are holding a new candle. And what you're describing is a new candle. It's a new light on Zion. And I feel so encouraged that, that these are the people making peace. Of course, you're brilliant in your own right. You're academic in your own right. You're educated. You're experienced. But 
it's that simplicity of when you say the most valuable resource in the Middle East, and dare I say the world, is trust. And that and that simplicity in simplicity is truth. We know when where was uh, the Torah given on Mount Sinai? What was the specific characteristic of Mount Sinai? It was the smallest mountain in the area. Who was the one to give over God's word? Moses. What was Moses's characteristic? He had a stutter. <laughs> we look at, I mean, you could go over and over and over in the Bible, this, this um, humility. And, and what I always try to remember is humility isn't something that's supposed to keep me from doing great things. It's supposed to encourage me to do great things in new ways and realize that God is working through me. So um, hearing you speak, Johnny, God is working through you, my friend, and it's amazing. I have a few more questions that I want to fit in, um, even though I could do this for hours because I really have a lot more questions, but I'll try to limit them. Um, so you've met a lot of world leaders. Who do you most admire and why? That sounds I, like kind of like a Jeopardy question. question. Yeah, I can't answer the question. I, <laughs> you got to pass. That's not the, the that's not the, I'll, I'll answer it differently. That's not the approach I take. Hmm. When I meet these leaders, I'm not looking for um, what I don't trust, what I don't like. I'm looking for, um, uh, I'm looking for what I do like and what I do. And so I could go to, I could go to all of these people and say like, I admire in this leader this. Yes. I admire that. I, I will do one. I mean, the key okay, I'm going to change my question. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. What do you admire in certain leaders and why? <laughs> okay. so, uh, now, now I got the thousand leaders. Um, but, uh, Choose I'll, three. I'll, okay. Three. I'll, I'll stick to um, the King of Bahrain. The King of Bahrain is like the nicest human being on the planet. Not and he's not weak. Okay, I mean th this is a uh, without getting into the geopolitics uh, because it's not the purpose of our of, of our of our discussion. But um, but but Bahrain, there's a reason why the fifth fleet of the United States of America, our Navy, is stationed in Bahrain. Okay, yeah. um, it's he's a strong, strong, strong leader. But when you sit with him, you know he smiles, he laughs. He, he's like this unbelievable, unbelievable person, but he has like this quiet strength. Hmm. So, so, you know, you think, and he's, a, and he's, uh, in the way you were describing humility, that's how I would, that's how I would describe him. You know, he, uh, he, he does the right thing. Wow. When, when, when the, when the Bahrainis were invited to come to visit Israel before Bahrain had normalization with Israel, you know, can, can we take a group over? You know, was the, was, was the question that uh, Rabbi Heyer and Rabbi Cooper um, asked him. And he said, of course, I don't control where my people go. Ah, uh, wow. a courageous statement. And like when you sit with him, you're like, you just, you you, you love him. Uh, you know, Muhammad bin Zayed, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the UAE. And incredibly, incredibly like... Uh, strong, strong leader, incredibly innovative. You know, I mean, the, the UAE, um, you know, has, has become a, uh, you, know, you know, the UAE and Israel were like matches made in heaven Definitely. because of their innovation and creativity and forward looking, you know, disposition and all, all, all of these things. And, 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 and his need to like, you know, to just like hold his guns and to move forward and do the right thing and to, and to not, not, MBZ 
is incapable of thinking small. He just, mm. he just, he just can't do it. You know, he, he has, he has to think in, in these big, big and gigantic ways, uh, you know, so for the Abraham Accord countries that, you know, th- those are, right. um, th- 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 those are two, I-, I could just like go, I could go on and on. That's but amazing. I- and it really is. It- it's not what I hear you saying, Johnny, is it's not by chance that these countries were the one of the first to enter the Abraham Accords. The reason why they entered the Abraham Accords is because they have these strong, yet humble leaders who do what's best for their people. And that's an amazing, encouraging thing to look at for the future. Yeah, and so and I we- encourage people that are listening to us, stop finding reasons to, to not engage with people and start finding opportunities to do it. You know, I, yes. I sat with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia for hours and heard him talk about his vision, yeah. you know, and, and all of these things. Like we talk about other things, you know, in those meetings and I give my opinion on, on, on other things. But I am not looking for uh, for reasons to, uh, uh, to. I'm not looking for excuses to not find a better world. I'm looking for opportunities, and I, I think we have to we have to move. And in, in this country, for goodness sakes, like you know, everybody like dividing one another and putting people in categories and the polarization and the politics, all these types. Like, like what happened to like just being neighbors? You know, living in a really imperfect world and finding um, uh, f- finding opportunities to make the world better uh, together, d- despite all that's complicated, you know, a, 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 about it all. And if I started talking about what I admire about my friends in Israel, we would be here <laughs> all day long. So I'm going to leave it's, it to you. I think that's the key to life, Johnny, whether you're talking about geopolitics that are complicated or relationship with your spouse or parents or siblings or friends or community. We have choice and that choice is to find the good. And we all know when you find the good, you strengthen the good or to find the bad. And when you look at bad, you'll always find bad, both within ourselves, within our families, within our friends, within our communities, within our governments, within the world. But it's really really just deflecting what's possible when we find the good in all those things. So that's um, an amazing message that I just bless all of our leaders to have. (laughs) I have three questions that I always end with when I have guests on my show. So I'm going to ask them to you and I'm excited for your answers. Um, Number one, what is your go-to Bible verse? Uh, It's... uh... So there's so many, it's my, my go-to passage is Psalm 91. Hmm. And uh, a few weeks ago, um, I, I, uh, traveled to the border of Iran and I stood across, uh, the river, uh, that separates Iran from, um, uh, uh, from Azerbaijan. And I looked across the river and I prayed for, uh, persecuted people in Iran and I read Psalm 91 out loud. And, and I just, I, I love, I love Psalm 91. You know, I've quoted a couple of other verses here, but I, I'll, I'll pick Could you read one. us uh, Psalm 91 now? It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. Hmm. And I'll say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you'll find refuge. 
His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart, and you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, the Lord says. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and I will honor him and with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Can you imagine, Yael, standing on the border of Iran? Wow. I and one of my, um, one of my mentors uh, uh, taught me the importance of going to places. Mm. Boots going on the ground. Places. Boots on the ground. And sometimes it's to meet with victims of persecution but, but I felt in my heart, I was, I was in Bahrain. I, I moved over to another country in, in the Gulf. And then I, and I just like, I'm going, I'm going to go to, I'm going to do this. And so I, I got on an airplane and I flew, I, I flew to Azerbaijan. I asked some friends for some help uh, to get to this area and they helped me get down there. And I wasn't there very long, but I stood across the river and I looked into those hills because someone like me doesn't get out if I, if I go to Iran. <laughs> Uh, but I just had to get as close. I'd as come I rescue you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had to get as close as I could to look over across that river, and it's a beautiful country. And I hope to God one day it's a it's a different place. Amen. And I, Amen. I looked over I looked over into the beautiful beautiful mountains, and I read those verses, thinking of all the people that suffer there. You know, in our community, the evangelical community, because we're Zionist. Um, they persecute our community in incomprehensible ways. They accuse us of being spies of Israel. They accuse us of all, all of all of these other all of these other things, and 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 the Baha'i community and all these people that they persecute so viciously over there. Yeah. And I read that verse like as a promise to them, like ten thousand may fall at your right hand and a thousand at your left, and but. The, but you acknowledge my name. I see you. You know the, the Lord. The Lord says, and I. I think. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll leave That's it there. Amazing. Isn't the Bible powerful? Yes. Like, and, and Christians should study it with with their Jewish friends because they're words that we don't get in our English language. You've you mentioned one. Uh, you know, the, uh, in Genesis earlier, they're like aspects of this that we because we because of not knowing Hebrew and and you know there there's so much inside of it. You know that brings our life to life. Right. Even when you read the English translations, you have so many different versions that you could understand that the Hebrew version, each word has a meaning that takes five or six different English words to understand it and can have lots of different uh, relevance depending on what sentence it is. So I definitely encourage our Christian friends to learn Hebrew and the reading the Bible will be a whole new experience. But again, with Iran, I go back to, to my verse of the podcast of Yeshua Tashem Keherifah in redemption 
can come in the blink of an eye. And I speak to my friends who came from Iran and Israel, we have a big Jewish Iranian community. And I speak to them, their parents tell them the stories in the 80s and they were even alive, babies, little kids in the 80s when suddenly it went from being a free country where Jews had freedom to being run by uh, by um terrorists <laughs> who persecuted all the minorities and even within Islam persecuted so many. Um, and, and so I see by hearing those stories, I believe if God can in one second transform Iran from being progressive, modern, open, free to being ruled with such an iron fist, I believe that God can do it the other way as well. So I know your prayer standing there on the border is uh bringing that reality just a little bit closer. My last question for you, Pastor Johnny, after reading that, I know you have many identities and one of them is also pastor. And after reading that Bible verse, I'm going to, from the, for the rest of the podcast, call you Pastor Johnny. Um, <laughs> what Bible character do you most identify with? Uh, it's, a hard, it's a hard question. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting because I don't I don't feel comfortable. Here I go, not comfortable answering a question again. But but I, you know, I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask that I think. Who Christian, do you gain strength Christian, from? Uh, I gain I gain strength from the Psalms. Hmm, you know, I, I, I Solomon. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I, I you know, from, from so much of it, but but I. I'll, I'll answer a different question, which Christians should understand, um, which is one of the one of the things I love about um, Judaism uh, that we sh- that sh- is, a, is shared with evangelicals, because you know, unlike Catholics and Orthodox Christians, we don't have saints, and and you don't have saints. You know, you have uh, regular people uh, who God used in extraordinary ways, and and. And I, I, I think, you know, all throughout, uh, all, all throughout the Bible, uh, you, you, uh, uh, the most liberating thing of the Bible uh, is that you're reading about regular people who God used in extraordinary ways with all of their flaws and challenges, yeah. flaws of the world around them. And, uh, and in this way, I mean, Christians uh, have often misunderstood Judaism, you know, that there isn't, uh, we, we accuse Judaism of not having grace, which is absurd. You know, when you when you read uh, um, the Old Testament, you read the rabbis and, and everything else. Um, probably the, the 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 biblical character that I'm I uh, my my life is uh, most uh, alike in some ways uh, is is in our New Testament. You know, which is the um, the Apostle Paul, who was a tent maker. Mm, yeah. You know, you know, he wasn't a um, uh, he wasn't a f- a full time pastor. You know, he was uh, he traveled around the world making tents. While he delivered his sermons, and so, but he, he was also interesting because um, uh, the New Testament says he went to Athens uh, and he stood on Mars Hill. They called it the Areopagus, which is all the philosophers were there, and he quoted their poets. Right. Uh, and, and I'm inspired by that in the in when I travel in the Islamic world because um, you know in a in a country like Saudi Arabia, for instance, uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians coexisted in Medina of all places at the beginning of Islam and their letters, there's history there, their Christian churches and ruins of Jewish communities all across uh, the, 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 the kingdom, 
you know, of, of Saudi Arabia. And I am not interested in going into the Arab world and trying to import some Western ideas. I just want to find in their history, these amazing things um, that, that uh, take the power away from the extremists who are using, who are, they're not religious, they're using religion for other things. And to say like, if, if Jews and Christians and Muslims could coexist when the prophet Muhammad himself was here, like, why can't we do it now? And, and th these are lessons, you know, I, I learned, you know, I learned from the Bible, you know, uh, uh, Paul was born in Tarsus, which was the center of culture in his time. Uh, he was educated in Jerusalem, you know, which was the center of religious education of his, of his time. Um, and he was a business person. He could relate to regular, regular, everyday, everyday people. And, uh, and, in, and I see that all throughout the Hebrew Bible as well. People who had multifaceted, multifaceted lives. And, um, yeah, so those, those are all, those are all some things. I mean, as, as a Christian, I had to reference the new Testament, of course, also. Yes, so. <laughs> that is so inspiring. And it's such a lesson that's so relevant today. I think what, what, what I hear you saying that you see in Paul, and it's something that you have referenced throughout this podcast is don't be scared. The apostle Paul was saying, Go out and be with the people. Don't ostracize yourself from the people. Go out and learn about the beautiful parts of their life because even within something that we reject, there's still beauty there and that's where the relationships are going to be formed. And so if there's one thing I got out of this podcast and hearing your, your brilliance and your wisdom and your uh, spiritual inspiration, it's, it's to look at the world through beautiful, positive eyes, and you'll see a beautiful, positive world that will come into being. Or we could be stuck in the old ways. We could be stuck looking at the negative, finding things that divide us, finding the problems. And they're definitely there, but it will keep us in the old ways of division, war, separation. And that is something that I think every single person, uh, irrelevant of what religion or denomination they are, should really internalize as I know I am. So thank you so much for joining us today, Johnny. We look forward to following your work. You can follow uh, Pastor Johnny on uh, Instagram, on Twitter, on every social media platform, Johnny Moore with a I-E, J-O-H-N-N-I-E, Moore, M-O-O. -E. I really encourage you to follow him. And Johnny, we look forward to seeing the fruits of your bridge building efforts. And we hope that you'll come back to the podcast and keep us updated. Thank you. Yael. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.